The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message is the second half of a sermon preached by Elder Buddy Abernathy in his series on the book of Revelation from Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, we have a view of heaven. John has been giving us some instructions from the Lord Jesus Christ regarding earthly things, and now he's transported up into heaven and gets a view of the throne room of God. The whole purpose of the book of Revelation is to uplift and encourage God's people in a time of persecution. Rather than being afraid of this book, we ought to be encouraged by it. And I encourage you to stick with us as we go through this book and see the great things that await us as children of God. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Hey! 
He that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. Now, think of it this way as we go through this chapter. That we're seeing the throne and then we're going outward. The first thing surrounding the throne, he says that he saw a rainbow in sight like unto emerald. In other words, just think perhaps of a, a, a green emerald halo, rainbow surrounding the throne. Now, I believe that can be looked at as this. And let me pause and make this point. It's okay with me if other preachers interpret this differently. As long as their interpretation doesn't contradict fundamental, basic Bible doctrines. As a matter of fact, I've listened to the recordings or the sermons of some men that I highly esteem on this chapter and I'm not preaching it the same way they did. But I hope that we equally present it in a way that glorifies the Lord and edifies the Lord's people. So notice he says here that the first thing beyond the throne where, this, where God sat, he says, was a rainbow and it was in sight like unto emerald. I believe one of the things that could represent is God's everlasting covenant ordered in all things insured. You know, in the Old Testament, the rainbow was clearly explained. After the flood had abated, the Lord told Noah by the token of the rainbow that I'll never judge the earth on this magnitude with a flood again. So this bow speaks of God as a covenant-keeping God. He has an everlasting love for His people. Isn't that the thing that is foremost our concern and focus? And when John saw this vision beyond the awesomeness of God, the first thing beyond that was what is so foremost on our minds, and that is we have a God who is a, a, a covenant-keeping God. It's an everlasting covenant, and we're speaking of His covenant to save His people from their sins, and it's sure. You know, David said, He hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordering in all things and sure. Now, he prefaced that by saying, though my house be not so with God. Aren't you glad that's the way it is? My house is not in order. But when I look into heaven, based on, if I try to envision what John actually saw, when I look into heaven and I see God in His glory, the first thing that I see after that is this rainbow which reminds me that though my house be not so with God, He hath made with me an everlasting covenant. And I love that expression, ordered in all things and sure. I don't know what John thought about it, but that's what I thought about. Then he says, 
verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. I don't know why that the Lord inspired John to write it this way. But after you study all of chapters 4 and 5, you'll see that the order, if you think about going outward from the throne, that there's the one that sat upon the throne, then there's the rainbow, and then within the area of that throne, there are these four beasts. But for whatever reason, he's going beyond that now. He's going beyond what surrounds the throne immediately. That is, that which is part of it, so to speak. And you'll see that as we continue another time. But he says, and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. So we have God's glorious throne and we have that rainbow symbolizing his everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure and what I believe is next here listed is God's people you say brother buddy how do you get that out of four and twenty seats and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting well one of the first giveaways to me is it says they're clothed in white raiment and, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. White raiment always in the book of Revelation refers to the righteousness of Christ that has been bestowed or imputed. If you're wearing a white robe in terms of revelation, that means you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And notice furthermore uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice what he says. He's made us kings and priests unto God. A king wears a crown. We're kings and priests unto God, and we're robed in the righteousness of Christ. To me, that gives indication this is speaking of God's children. But what does he mean when he says that he saw four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders? Well, think of it this way. In the Old Testament, the people of God, that is those that he, that he chose to give his law to, give his light to, give his covenant to, were the 12 tribes of Israel. Now I realize that God has always had an elect people out of every kindred, tribe, and tongue under heaven. But from an outward perspective, God 
blessed Israel. He chose them as a special nation of people. So you understand that God has always had people all over the world, but by God choosing to bless Israel, that should train our minds now in the New Testament dispensation to understand that God can elect and choose and work with and bless who He pleases. But there were 12 tribes. So I believe that is representative of God's elect in the Old Testament. And then there were 12 apostles. And Jesus says to the church that you're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I believe these four and twenty seats upon which he saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment with crowns on their head is describing God's elect people. And we'll see how they worship the Lord as we continue. Verse 5, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now that word voices can mean rumblings. So I don't believe he's necessarily, at least this is how I see it, he's not talking about human voices. He's talking about lightnings and thunderings and the rumblings of that thunder. In other words, that throne is something that will get your attention. And he goes on to say, there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, for whatever remaining time that we take, I want us to focus on those seven spirits of God. Now, the literal language of the New Testament teaches that there is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. There are several places you can turn to to teach that. One place is in 1 John 5, 7. And by the way, if you don't have a King James Bible, this is not there. Now, the, the numbers next to the verses will deceive you and make you think it is there. But if you read the text and put it next to the King James, you'll find out it's not there. 1 John 5, 7 says this. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now you say, I thought you said that it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Yet here it says that it's God the, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. Well, if you'll notice the word, Word, 
starts with a capital W. And if you'll go back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where it's making clear reference to Jesus, it'll say that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. <laughs> so there's no doubt that's referring to God the Son. So God is not made up of seven persons. Okay, what does this in Revelation mean? I believe he's speaking here that there are various things that the Spirit of God does. I don't know that there are exactly seven. When I was brainstorming about this, I came up with at least six functions of the Holy Spirit. And I don't believe that means there's exactly seven. The, words, the number seven is in the Bible a number which means completion. So however many things the Holy Ghost is involved in, the point is that, that there's, there's a, a, a multi, there are multiple tasks, if you will. There are multiple operations of the Holy Spirit. Now we, as primitive Baptists, ordinarily, initially think of the work of the Spirit in the new birth. And that's fundamental and basic, isn't it? We talked about that some this morning at Blooming Grove, and I know that those of you here at Zion Church are well established in this doctrine. So we'll just quote one verse that we're all familiar with, Ephesians 2.1, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And were quickened, were born again through the operation of the Holy Spirit. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So that's normally what we think about. But let's consider a few other things the Spirit does. And keep in mind that as John observes these seven uh, lamps of fire burning before the throne, and he, when he says these are the seven spirits of God, he's simply saying that these seven lamps of fire burning represent what he refers to as the seven spirits of God. Now look at Acts chapter 2. Now this is the one that a lot of people get off track with today. And you're just going to, I'm just going to say this tonight. I'm not going to prove it, but you can study it out. There was a period of signs and wonders in the early New Testament church. But if you'll study it out, you'll see that generally speaking, with the passing of the apostles and those ministers whom they personally laid hands on, beyond that, these signs and wonders are no more. In other words, I'm not going to have a snake show here at church and show you how much faith I have that I can take up serpents and they'll not bite me. If you want to have some good entertainment tonight when you go home to relax, if you have access, you know, to Netflix or whatever it's on, 
Look up this series called Snake Salvation. It's about a couple of small churches somewhere up in Virginia or Kentucky. I don't remember where. And these are churches that it's as if that verse that says you'll take up serpents and they'll not harm you is as if that's the only verse in the Bible. And they have these services where they have went out and caught these rattlesnakes and they've kept them in cages. Now, usually they don't feed them, so they're not as quite as aggressive as they were when they first caught them. And they, they bring in these snakes and they hold up the snake, you know, with his head way up here where he could bite you if he wanted to. And they speak in tongues, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But you know, I know of at least three of them that died from snake bites. And, and that is humorous, and I'm not criticizing you for laughing, but it's also sad, isn't it? They have zeal as off track as they may be. They're getting something out of that. The congregation is, and they truly think that's the Lord. But you know, Satan can impersonate the Holy Spirit. And we'll not, well, let's, let's turn to that in just a minute. In uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 11, notice this. Paul says, what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we, for such are false apostles deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no marvel. In other words, don't let this blow you away. He says, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. You know, one of my biggest fears when I'm praying for direction over a major decision in my life, you know, you think about the decision to marry or for preachers, the decision to accept a church. My fear is that I will confuse the leadership of the Spirit with the deception of the adversary. That's why you need to read this Bible. The Lord's not going to lead you to do what I heard a preacher say, uh, what I heard a man, what a, I heard a preacher say a man told him one time. This man had left his wife for another woman, and he told his pastor, he said, I just felt like the Lord was drawing us together. And the pastor said, that ain't the Lord, that's the devil. Amen. But see, you can, sin, you can be sincerely wrong. Sincerity doesn't mean you're right. You can be sincere and be wrong. So we can be deceived. And so let's go back now to Acts chapter, Acts chapter 2 and verse... Let's just begin with the first verse of chapter 2. This is another function of the Spirit of God. 
And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now let me tell you what's going on here. First of all, in this series, Snake Salvation, to them, speaking in tongues is to mumble and utter things that nobody understands. It's not English, it's not Spanish, French, German. It's not a language, it's just mumbling. And Paul even said... That if you're speaking in a tongue nobody understands, don't do it. But that's not what the Bible is even referring to when it's talking about speaking in tongues. All that means is this. Here's what happened that day that we'll read about. He says they were filled with the Holy Ghost. That's not the new birth. That's indicating this was a special, unique occasion where the Holy Ghost worked in miraculous ways. And as they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to speak with other tongues. Other tongues just means other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. In other words, there were multiple languages there. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in their own language. Here's what was going on. Let's suppose I'm the only person in this building that understands the English language and that's the only language I know. And there's nobody in the pews that understands or knows English. There's some Germans here. There's some French-speaking people here. Some Spanish-speaking people. There's, that's the scene here. I'm just making it contemporary. And I preach in English and people that don't know English understand it in their own language. I say salvation is by grace in English and the person that's French understands I said salvation by grace. Every nationality, every language there understands what I said in English, though they don't know the English language. It simply says, notice what it says, uh, uh, every man heard them speak in his own language. Now this was a special, unique time. You say, Brother Buddy, why did that happen then? What was going on here? is the Lord was giving authenticity to His church. That this is my church. There wasn't mumbling going on. People weren't jumping over pews and wallowing in the aisle. This was, this was something that was as orderly as what we're doing tonight. The, the, the apostles were preaching and people were there from all over uh, that were Jewish people. There were people from all, from, notice what he says, out of, uh, out of every nation under heaven. 
So this required a miracle of the Holy Ghost. For these apostles who were mostly unlearned and ignorant men to preach in their language and the people understand it in theirs. And they were all amazed, verse 7, and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, our own language, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. I'm not sure how to pronounce the next one, but you get the point. There's a couple of them there I don't think I can pronounce correctly. But all of these different languages, and they understood it in their own language. Now, we're going to conclude there for tonight, but let me just give you a final recap. The door of heaven is open. John's alone on the Isle of Patmos. And he hears a voice like a trumpet that says, Come up hither. And what he sees there is the throne of God that's this brilliant light and surrounding this throne is an emerald rainbow which represents at least in part God's everlasting covenant and right outside that uh, that rainbow is the objects of his everlasting covenant his people throughout ages those in the Old Testament and those some of which have already passed away during the new dispensation, in the gospel church age. And he observes this. And then lastly, as far as what we've covered so far, he sees these seven lamps, which represent the seven spirits of God, which represents the various operations of the Spirit. I've looked at two. First of all, the new birth. And secondly, that outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost which resulted in miracles happening. If the Lord blesses us to continue with this you'll see that the other operations of the Spirit can be very practical because they relate to our enjoyment of God's blessings as a church it relates to men being able to preach. I can't preach without the Spirit. And it relates to your personal walk with the Lord. You, your behavior, and your diligence has a lot to do with the Spirit's ministry to you as one who is already born again and in possession of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid we as primitive Baptists, at least in the past, have thought, well, God borns you of his spirit, and then that's all there is to it. You have the spirit. <laughs> no, there's a lot you can do to affect the vitality of the spirit in your life. And that's what we need to be concerned about. And I hope 
the Lord's will, we can continue with that. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.